This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Sometimes uh, people that have a high levels of TPO they try to set up a change settings to find out the solution. The problem is fixed. They forget about that. And then for the last seven months, they're running with that setting that I was an emergency, but now is the standard and you're wasting CO2. This week on the show, benchmarking and reducing your brewery's CO2 consumption. Hi, I'm Gabriel Dominguez. I'm a business developer leader for Penter, based out of Florida, and I'm happy to be here. Gabriel, let's talk about benchmarking CO2 usage. There are folks listening from the largest and the smallest breweries in the world. Give us some best practices and tips for how brewers of various sizes should be measuring their CO2 usage. That is correct. So uh, we need to remember that uh, uh, craft brewers, uh, we, we need to be efficient and effective, no matter, uh, or the same as the big ones. So uh, we should use a very common top level rule of thumb that says that uh, if you're consuming more than 10 pounds of carbon dioxide per every beer barrel of cold board or wort produced in your brewery, you're wasting CO2. The super efficient uh, uh, breweries there below seven, but a 10 should be a benchmark that includes small, medium, and big ones. And uh, that's basically, uh, that number can be easily, just got your invoices in the month, how much uh, pounds of CO2 you just purchase compared with your output. And I'm using the word cold word before dilution because there are breweries that dilute beer. It needs to be on, on, you know, before dilution. Give us some industry standard benchmarks for various areas within the brewery. Going back to the same 10 pounds uh, uh, per beer barrel, uh, roughly 40% or 4 pounds uh, should be used between three processes, which is basically your can filler. Everybody that has a can filler knows that it's a consumer thirsty of CO2. Uh, in, in second place should be uh, full carbonation and lastly, uh, beer tanks management. For can fillers, you should not consume more than one and a half pounds per beer barrel. And uh, for carbonation, no more than 1.3 pounds per beer barrel. 
and BBT should be 1.1, 1.2 max per beer barrel. So the rest, the rest of the the 60% remaining, you can use for propelling, for cleaning, for blanketing, for doing whatever that. But those are your main offenders. And unfortunately, uh, every time that I visit uh, people at the floor and and if they have a measurement device, I found out that the fillers they're using three or, or two and a half pounds, you know, double of what they're wow. expecting. So that, that, that is the reason. Uh, you need not only to have the numbers, but uh, ways to measure how much you're consuming per each process. Otherwise, you're running your operation blindfolded. I know you want to talk about some adjustments that can be made to reduce CO2 usage. Where would you like to start? Uh, uh, just remind everybody that uh, uh, CO2 density, which means pounds per cubic feet, change with pressure and temperature. Uh, you can reduce the amount of uh, CO2 consumed uh, if you basically uh, heat up gas, but that consumes energy. So I will keep that as an option B or C. The real impact is controlling the pressure. Just for instance, you have a horfis that vent CO2 at a 40 PSI pressure, and then you reduce that pressure down to 20, you start consuming or venting 57% less CO2, which is a lot. And that uh, those horfis basically, uh, I'm, I'm referring to the ones that are in the can fillers on, or, or the bottlers on top of the bowl. Uh, those, no matter who is your supplier of equipment, roughly they are set up to operate between 1.1 to 1.5 bar uh, and they run with a certain time. So let's say it opens a horfice uh, of uh, one sixteen of inch every 10 seconds for, for 5 seconds. That's fixed. But uh, the only thing that uh, you can play with is the pressure that uh, you're venting that. And unfortunately, every time, again, I go to the floor and I check the settings, instead of the original 1.1, 1.5, there are three or four, or even five bars, which increases the pressure. The, the pressure, the, the surface is the same, the, the, the time is the same, but because of the high pressure, you're releasing cubic feet of CO2 that have more, more, more mass, more pounds of CO2, and you're wasting. I understand the reasoning. Sometimes... Uh, People that have uh, high levels of uh, total pack, pa- uh, package oxygen, the, the TPO, but uh, and they, they they try to set up a change settings to find out the solution. The problem is fixed. They forget about that, and then for the last seven months they're running with that setting that was an emergency, but now is the standard, and you're wasting CO2. Okay, well let's look at some areas, some other areas where you see the most egregious misuse of CO2? Typically, you walk around any brewery, big one, medium, or small ones, and you detect the slight smell of CO2 because you you can detect that. It tickles your your nose, your eyes. And then uh, you you see that uh, the electrical contacts uh, are corroded for some acidic presence in the air. So uh, that tells you that uh, there's a lot of CO2 in 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 the area, uh, 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 tanks or, or fillers or whatever that are, uh, you're wasting CO2 because you you may have leaks, 
And the leaks is not only you're losing money because instead of using CO2 in carbonation and fillers or whatever you're sending into the atmosphere, but also you're having a safety concern because your operators are now uh, in an atmosphere where it's depleted of oxygen because of the high levels of, of CO2. And also you damage your equipment because all the electrical contacts uh, are exposed to CO2 that are with the moisture of the air becomes corrosive, carbonic acid. Even though it's a slight acid, over time you start having electrical problems and damages of your contacts, your starters and things like that. So uh, I, I, every time that I go to a floor and I ask, we need to review leaks, everybody, oh yeah, we checked it six months ago. <laughs> Let <laughs> me tell you something. There are two things that are constant in the brewery. One is vibration that becomes leaks, and secondly are taxes. So you cannot get rid of those taxes and vibrations. So <laughs> you, you should have a program uh, with at least once per month, you need to start uh, following the the, the, the your lines where you, you transfer uh, CO2 and using the un unsophisticated but a very effective soup, soapy water, you're going to detect that. You're going to put with the masking tape, and you're going to put a number. Let's say uh, 90 uh, degrees elbow before filler one, and you prepare an Excel spreadsheet. And the reason is you need to do that because you're going to start noticing trends. For instance, every month is the same elbow or the same connection that is leaking. So you need to consider that perhaps instead of a, 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 a screw connection, perhaps we used to use a weld connection to eliminate the leak for good or to use some kind of a flange with some gaskets. Because typically when I found leaks, it's in the quick connections. The people from maintenance, they love it because they, they're quick, but uh, they, they look like nobody opened in two or three years to so say, okay, why well, do you need a quick connection when you open that two or three years? Um, so th those are the places, but uh, leaks, pe people underestimate leaks, but I believe me, it's a lot of money uh, uh, being wasted. It's a concern for the maintenance because damage electrical contacts. And also you don't want to eventually have issues with OSHA because the, the atmosphere in your room or in your areas of or working areas are depleted of oxygen because of the leak of carbon dioxide. You mentioned using uh, soapy water. We had a pretty good episode years ago with some folks from, from Bells who talked about hunting for compressed air leaks with an ultrasonic detection device. Can that be used for CO2 as well? Are there any other tricks like that? Yes, there, 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 there's a, a ultrasonic detection, and I don't want to make a commercial. Yes, we, it's part of our line of products, but I, I don't want to sell you something that costs a little bit of money when you can do it with water and soapy water. I mean, I'm, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, if you have the budget, go ahead. It's more accurate. But if not, uh, believe me, you don't have excuse. Grab some time, mix it with water, and you're there. Okay, let's talk about tank purging because that's another area where we see a lot of potential for wasting CO2. People think that are uh, doing things faster or quicker, they improve uh, efficiency and that's not the case. Unfortunately, when you're purging a tank, you're uh, sweeping out air with CO2, uh, you do it too fast where you're going to create a turbulence, in, a turbulence inside the tank and instead of uh, pushing the CO2 or propelling uh, air uh, with CO2 out, uh, you're mixing air with CO2 and you take, you consume more CO2 to do that. So uh, 
there used to be a, 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 an old phrase that says, slow down because I'm in a hurry. This is the case. If you, 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 you want to precipitate things, you, you push in very fast. So you need to do it slowly. Take perhaps 20 or 30 minutes more. You're going to save a lot of CO2, but also you're going to make sure that the CO2, because it's one and a half heavier than air, is going to be pushing air uh, on top of that. And what is remaining inside your tank or pipes is carbon dioxide. So there's no oxygen that now is safe for your beer or else to transfer or be propelled using that tank or that piping. So basically that my recommendation is be careful. Also, uh, when you apply the CO2, because I mentioned it's one and a half heavier than air, the best way to apply in a tank is from bottom up because CO2 is going to start rising gradually and it's going to be expelling nitrogen and oxygen and much more lighter than carbon dioxide. And, and then the opposite is true if you're trying to get CO2 out of a tank, like, you know, before you clean it, right? That is correct. Exactly. Yes. That's the same logic, but uh, in reverse. Okay. What else do you want to say about, um, you know, blanketing or tank filling or, um, you know, other options that we have there? Uh, just do me a favor. There's people that are trying to dehydrate water using uh, other gases outside nitrogen, like nitrogen. Don't make sense because the, the reason that our CO2 is so effective removing air is because it's almost 40, 39.8 times more soluble than oxygen and nitrogen, and you can expel that very easily because once the CO2 goes into the water, it gets kind of jealous. They don't want other gases around it, so it's pellet. But then when you try to remove oxygen with nitrogen that have very similar similar uh, uh, solubilities in water, it takes more gas, and always you will have the doubt that you may leave some oxygen behind. So please don't do that. That's not the way that you, you, you want to save CO2. Same applies with carbonation. There's no other guys that replace carbon dioxide. But in, 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 in purging, in, in, in propelling, or even in the fillers, you can replace carbon dioxide with nitrogen with some risk, by the way. It's not an easy, quick fix. So you, you, uh, it, it's something that you need to be very careful because there's pros and cons of using nitrogen. Uh, right now, it's way cheaper and, and more available than, than CO2. That's the reason it be becomes attractive, but uh, you need to be aware of what you're doing. Okay. Well, walk us through that. Walk us through um, what would be different if you're trying to purge a tank with nitrogen instead of creating a CO2 blanket, and then also walk us through some of those pros and cons. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, when you're, uh, as I said, uh, typically for venting or pushing air uh, from a tank, you inject CO2 from the bottom, and then because of the higher de density, the, the CO2 is going to be filling up the tank, and while doing that, they're going to propel or push air up. But as you do the same with nitrogen, you have a problem because <laughs> nitrogen is much lighter than air. It's going to tend to bypass and lose that. So you need to do it uh, very careful. If you apply nitrogen on top, it's going to be the same because instead of going down to the bottom, it's going to try to go back and escape to the air. So as a rule of thumb, you say that if, for instance, you're using one cubic feet of uh, carbon dioxide for any blanketing or uh, uh, purging uh, activity, and you're going to replace nitrogen, you're going to use between uh, four to five times more. 
So meaning you need to have four and a half or five uh, cubic feet for the same application. Because if you want to, if you want to replace a cubic feet by cubic feet, you're going to fail. You're going to put your, your, your product in, in jeopardy. So you need to use more gas. And another point is, remember, carbon dioxide, the moment that it goes into the water of your beer or ale, immediately changes the pH, creates an acidification. So that is the reason uh, it's very, it has a very strong bacteriostatic activity against germs. So it's going to give a, a, a protection to your beer. Uh, only uh, uh, anaerobic germs could, could grow in that situation. When you're doing nitrogen, you don't have the same, may I say, bacteriostatic uh, activity. Uh, you only can affect some strains of uh, bacteria like the gram positive. And uh, you, you're limited. So please check when you're replacing nitrogen with CO2 in your can filler or in your BBTs that are your shell life is not being affected because now you're not keeping all the germs at bay because nitrogen has not that capability. And most importantly, liquid nitrogen is extremely cold. If you think that dry ice from CO2 at 110 below is cold, well, liquid nitrogen is 320 below and that can burn. So the risk of if, if that thing spills over it's, it's a bare skin, exposed skin, you're going to get born big time. So it's, it's very complicated when you're, when you're dealing uh, nitrogen. And if you don't want to use liquid nitrogen and you have, uh, got one of those generators that uh, they capture nitrogen from the air, uh, please be aware that uh, the, the, the main contaminant of that kind of nitrogen is it's air, and you may have up to 300 ppms of oxygen, which is not good for your quality. So you need to, to see the, the fine print because, believe me, generators are rather cheap. You, they are plug, uh, plug and play. You put it in your, you just connect it to power and you start getting nitrogen out of the air. But it comes with a price, uh, which is basically it's uh, nitrogen with le high levels of oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that's probably the first question you get from, from brewers considering replacing CO2 with, with nitrogen. They probably say, hey, well, can I use a, a generator? Because, you know, they probably know that from their draft system maybe already. What, 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 what I should go there, if you're planning to, to, to replace in CO2 with nitrogen, start doing your test with liquid because liquid is extremely high purity. There's almost no air there. Uh, but be careful because you can get born. So uh, it's, it's, uh, is the safe bet for quality of your product, but it's riskier for for your operators. So that so that that, that is the thing, the pros and cons. Using a generator of nitrogen, it's not there's no risk for your people because you will never go that cold. But uh, it's a risk for your product. Coming up. If for any uh, uh, particular reason you're not cool enough, you need to increase the pressure, not of the CO2, the pressure in the liquid. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, 
And that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by BSG, distributors of Gambrinus Malting, Canada's original small batch artisanal malt house. Located in Armstrong, BC, Gambrinus Malting combines European-influenced malting practices with the finest barley, wheat, and rye to produce some of the finest Canadian malts available. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com backslash Gambrinus to explore their full line of traditionally crafted malts and infuse your next brew with the character of the Okanagan Valley and Monashi Range. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. BSI, your brewing partner since 1996, is your destination for top quality liquid yeast cultures, lab services, and brewing products. BSI customizes your yeast orders for the perfect healthy pitch rate from a collection of over 300 strains. Most strains ship within seven days, but now try BSI's Express Yeast with industry favorite strains shipped the next business day. As of 2023, BSI is proud to be a 100% employee-owned business. Professional brewers can call for a free same-day consultation or visit brewingscience.com to access over 50 years of brewing expertise. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Alpha Brewing will host the District St. Louis Shop Talk November 13th. District Northern California's Fall Technical Meeting is November 15th at Sudwerk. District Milwaukee's November meeting and elections will be at Brewfinity, November 16th. The District St. Paul Minneapolis Fall meeting is November 16th. District Midwest meets December 2nd at Royal Docks Brewhouse in Cannery. District Rocky Mountain meets December 6th at Leopold Brothers in Denver. The 2024 Barley Improvement Conference is January 10th and 11th in San Diego. District St. Louis meets January 18th and 19th at Anheuser-Busch. The District Great Plains Annual Meeting is February 23rd and 24th at Mark One Electric Company in Kansas City. It's time to save the date for the 2024 World Brewing Congress. That's August 17th through the 20th in Minneapolis. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join.
now back to the show. Does anything else change if you're using nitrogen instead of CO2 to purge a tank? Do you need to go slower or use a different pressure? Uh, here is the thing. You need to do it slower because nitro. Remember, air is roughly 80%, 79% nitrogen. So it's easy for the nitrogen that you're injecting to mix with the air. So you create a slight turbulence. So CO2 resists a little bit mixing with air. So that means that a nitrogen needs to be slower. So for instance, if you've used 10 minutes injecting CO2, now that you're injecting nitrogen, uh, it's going to be 50% more, 15 minutes of time. So uh, using nitrogen is doable, but uh, you need to consider that it's going to take more volume, more cubic feet, uh, but uh, it's going to take a little bit of of time, additional time, because you you want to do the right things, and you're gonna protect your product, and you're gonna guarantee. Uh, yes, there's savings there, but you need to do it right because the, no matter how much you, you save uh, replacing CO2 by nitrogen, at the end of the day, you're having a problem in the market because your shell life is reduced, or you start having a skunky beer because of oxygen level. So, be careful with that. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about how to? judge when you've got a large enough blanket of co2 or nitrogen in your in your bright tank when you're purging i've worked in plenty of breweries where the sop was to throw a meter on the outlet and purge until we saw oxygen take a dive but that's a pretty big waste of co2 isn't it uh, yes sir it's a pretty big waste of nitrogen or co2 but here's the thing when we're talking about quality of beer you don't want to take any chance Right. I, I, I rather keep that approach. I understand that there's ways to minimize the consumption of CO2, but uh, between that 10, per, 10 pounds per beer barrel is considered that wasteful approach, but it's a safe bet for quality. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I, I assume, uh, we've probably talked about it before, but that mix layer is going to be bigger the faster you go, right? So if you That is correct. That is correct. And make that mix layer smaller and then the other factor there is um so so obviously if you can if you can maintain that 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 blanket you know in the top third of the tank or whatever is is um you know is is not co2 is air if you can follow that with your your beer transfer right away and you know and and push push that air out of the tank and maintain while maintaining that co2 blanket you could avoid wasting a lot of co2 right but that's a a pretty tricky thing to to estimate um you know how good of a job you're doing with that yeah i mean in paper in theory yes that's the way to do in, in order to save uh, co2 but it's very risky yeah quality wise you know yeah so. another thing i just mentioned too is i've i've seen some breweries where uh they said okay well we're gonna purge the tank and then fill it tomorrow you don't want to do that because uh that's going to give it more opportunity to to mix again right don't you want to fill it as soon as you're done purging basically that is correct that is correct because uh, if you keep the 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 chamber of gases there they're going to try to turn equilibrium you know and equilibrium it's mixing what it's in the liquid what it's in the tank yeah that is correct Okay. You, All right. you just nail it. Yes. You, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical property of the gases. They tend to go equilibrium between the two phases, liquid and gas. They try to equalize the concentrations. You're correct. 
Do you want to comment at all about using water to purge a tank? Some folks do that. Uh, uh, you you can do that, but uh, here is the thing: uh, make sure first of all, there's a, I have seen a little bit of uh, complications. For instance, using uh, potable water from the municipality, from the city supply. Uh, if you don't pay attention, they have uh, high levels of chlorine, so and chlorine attacks stainless steel. So that's one of the points. Secondly, uh, and I'm talking about the Florida case. In Florida, you're drinking water out of the faucet. It's going to taste like you're drinking water from the swimming pool because in, quali in Florida, we have so bad quality of water that are the city, they play safe. They put excess of chlorine. Nobody got sick, but uh, believe me, the smell, uh, the coffee tastes bad, and uh, everything is ruined. But also stainless steel and tax are ruined, and uh, chlorine's vapors could be part of the air or the CO2 or the chamber that you have, and you don't want that. So first of all, yes, you can use water, but please don't use chlorinated water. And make sure that I, uh, you have, I don't know, activated carbon bed or something to make sure. Secondly, ideally, you, you should use uh, dehydrated water because of, uh, eliminates the risk of integrating uh, uh, oxygen. But quite frankly, that's very expensive. So my suggestion is a combined effort. You start with water, you do very, very good that, and then you go with the gas just to uh, make sure that you don't have oxygen left over, but water. Are there any other safety considerations if uh, replacing CO2 with nitrogen? It's something that I, I might uh, didn't mention. It Remember I told you that I, I, I'm working in areas, it's very common to detect that you have uh, CO2 in the air. It's very when you have nitrogen and you have depleted oxygen, you don't know that until you die. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very risky because a different, the nitrogen is odorless, colorless. So if you're going to use nitrogen, please make sure that you have monitors that take that you have high levels of nitrogen. Otherwise, we might end up in a disastrous emergency. Gabriel, I'm just curious about, are there any uh, developments on the horizon for for nitrogen generators that ultimately would be able to produce, you know, a, a purified liquid nitrogen, kind of like we can accomplish in CO2 recapture? Is there, is there anybody working on that? Uh, is that something that, you know, might exist in our lifetimes? In all fairness, even the uh, low-cost uh, nitrogen generation, they can give you very high quality but for the price. Yeah. When, 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 uh, what I mean, what the price is, uh, when you sign a contract with that the generator, say, hey, I'm going to give you this, and the kilowatt per hour consumption will, will be this much. But in the fine print, you read it's you can reduce the amount of oxygen, but uh, your power consumption is going to be much higher. And in that case, uh, the benefit of cost savings disappear. Because there are places for, let's say, Hawaii or California where the kilowatt is so expensive that uh, if you start consuming double or triple of power to, to, to achieve the, the, a decent quality of nitrogen, you're going to lose all the benef economical benefits. So my point is, yes, you don't need to wait. Right now, everybody is capable to achieve in the generators high-quality nitrogen, and it's going to be elimination of headaches uh, for everybody. but it's not for free. Yeah. Your power consumption goes pretty high up. Okay. Makes sense. If you buy a beverage grade 
nitrogen, is it pretty similar in that they're going to deliver you liquid nitrogen and then it will be in a, in a container that will, will have, a, you know, have some liquid and some gas and you're taking the gas off of it? Uh, uh, yes and no. Let, let, let me explain you. Uh, when, when you're getting a storage tank outside your brewery, even a small one, you have liquid CO2. Uh, the conditions of the carbon dioxide in there is probably uh, 10 below zero and 270 psi. If for any particular reason, the, the, because there's there's no thermal insulation that is perfect, you're going to gain a little bit of heat from the outside. Yeah. Even in a cold winter in, in Wisconsin, you'll be 10 below there, so it's, it's, it's hotter outside. So uh, you're going to start uh, boiling off CO2, and before you start losing CO2 into the atmosphere, there's a micro switch that's going to start the refrigeration system or your storage tank. That's the way to go. With the nitrogen, the temperature of the liquid that you buy is so cold that there's no way that there's a refrigeration system. So if you don't consume nitrogen, let's say for three months, then when you use it, you're going to find out your, your, your tank is empty because you're losing constantly uh, nitrogen. So uh, my recommendation is buying uh, liquid nitrogen is the safe bet for quality because uh, the beverage grade nitrogen comes with the lowest oxygen level. But if you have a too big tank or too much, you're going to be wasteful and you're going to lose money. So you need to, to understand uh, the, the lifetime inside your tank. And perhaps instead of a big storage tank, perhaps what you need some those doers with very small one-ton tanks. That, and then if, if you need one every other day, that's better and instead of having a, a tank that is going to be filled up once a month, and you're wasting half of that tank, you know? Let's talk about areas where nitrogen just isn't going to work. You cannot. You cannot dehydrate water properly. You can try it, but you're going to fail miserable uh, using nitrogen. If you don't have a membranes that retains or scavenger oxygen, the only way that you can dehydrate water is using uh, bubbling carbon dioxide that is going to kick out all the gases in their uh, air gases, oxygen and nitrogen. But uh, uh, don't, don't, don't try to use uh, nitrogen instead of CO2 for the aeration. Carbonation, it, it's, it's a no-brainer. Uh, the sparkly, the, the bubbly sensation of a, a activated or uh, 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 using carbon dioxide in the beer is because uh, the CO2 that uh, it's in the bubbles when touch your membranes, your mucus, change pH, and you think, you know, the, the sparkling thing. You don't get that with nitrogen. But here's the thing. You can inject nitrogen to a carbonate beverage, for instance, to have a nitro, a nitro stout, and it's perfect. But uh, you need to understand the difference because CO2 has higher solubility if you inject CO2 in a liquid that has nitrogen, nitrogen is going to be out, expelled, removed. So you need to carbonate liquid first, inject CO2, and then you inject nitrogen, and it's going to take whatever CO2 allows it to take. So as a rule of thumb, is nitrogen is the last gas to enter, and the moment you pour it, is the first one to go out because of the low solubility. And when going out is going to give you that creamy head of uh, microscopic bubbles that is so appealing some 
from the dark beers or even in coffee. So, and, 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 and that, that's, that's the tricky part. So make sure that when you're using nitrogen and CO2 in a, a nitrogen carbonation, CO2 goes first and nitrogen goes last. And nitrogen is going to be the, 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 the first one the moment you pour it from the tap. Okay. For those for applications where we can't use nitrogen, like you know, carbonating beer, talk about some things we can do to um, to be more efficient with those processes and to uh, waste less CO two. Uh, is one one rule of thumb, and I always uh, suggested it: uh, whatever kind of carbonation system that you have, stones in line, so super sophisticated uh, mixer. Please make sure that uh, your supply line of CO2 is always loaded with carbon dioxide. A, a lot of people, when they they end the carbonation run, they empty the line or the hose or whatever they use, allowing air to come. And then at the moment they're going to start carbonating, they need to purge a lot of that air before even trying to inject it into the liquid. That's a waste. Uh, if you always keep, I don't know, 5 or 10 PSI, it's going to keep uh, blanketing, no moisture, no germs, no uh, no oxygen is going to enter that pipe. At the moment you start, immediately you can start injecting CO2 with no waste. Also, keeping that uh, positive pressure of 5 or 10 PSI in the line is going to give you the idea if you have leaks. Because if you leave a line with 5 pounds and the next day it's zero, the gauge indicates, that means you have a leak. So it has an advantage of uh, as a, a good practice keeping all your lines loaded with CO2. So at the moment you start, you know that there is carbon dioxide in that. You don't need to vent it, purge it, and waste more. So that that, that, that will be my, my first point. Secondly, remember that carbonation is a, is a function of pressure and temperature. If for any particular reason you're not cool enough, you need to increase the pressure, not of the CO2, the pressure in the liquid in the liquid in order to achieve those uh, wanted carbonation levels. As, as a matter of fact, and I, w- I don't want to, to say names, there's people that are doing experiments to save energy. Instead of carbonating at 32, 33, or 34 degrees, carbonating at 50, which is a big savings in energy, cooling energy, I mean. Obviously, you need to start using ASME-rated tanks because now you need... You need to uh, operate above about 25 psi. So, but uh, there, there's are savings there. So, my point is, there's no free lunch. If you, if you want to not waste CO2, either you have very cold liquid or very high pressure, and make sure that your uh, supply or feed lines uh, for any kind could be stones, whatever you wanted to use it. Make sure that you always keep CO2 uh, uh, loaded in that. You know, we talked about CO2 recapture on episode 279 last spring. Is there anything you want to say about that? Yeah, before, yes, ideally, recovering CO2, that will be your perfect path to follow to reduce CO2 consumption during time of scarcity. But here's the thing, takes a lot of money, but also a lot of time. Now, with the problems with logistics, since the moment that you decided to invest in any kind of recovery, all the branches that are out there, it's going to take at least a year and a year and a half until it's, you know, up and, lo- uh, uh, and running. So my point is, uh, uh, even though it is an ideal solution, takes time, takes money. So before you 
recovering your CO2, you need to make sure that you consume less than 10 pounds per beer barrel. Why? Because the, the CO2 recovery system, no matter which one you buy, is going to recover only the CO2 emitting by your fermenters. But if you're consuming 15, your fermenters emit between 9 to 10 pounds. So you're going to start buying CO2 still, but unfortunately now with a negative effect. Why? Because now you're buying just what is left, what, what is missing. It's a small amount. The supplier is going to increase the price. So at the end of the day, you might encounter that uh, you're paying this as much as you're using before having a CO2 plant, but for less less product because now you have a different scale of pricing. So long story short, make sure that before investing in a plant, you're efficient enough to claim that now I can be self-sufficient if I got a CO2 plant. Good advice. There's no uh, silver bullet for, for, for reducing the CO2 consumption. It's common sense. You, you cannot work blindfolded. You need to measure what you're consuming, and then you need to separate your processes. You need to go back to your original settings of your uh, fillers in order to... You need to have a program monthly of uh, detecting leaks. And if you're considering a, a replacing by nitrogen, please choose the liquid version for quality reasons but please be aware that dealing with liquid nitrogen you need to have the the, the protective gear to prevent any kind of burns the, the gloves are not plain gloves uh, special for low temperatures and you have some protective sleeve for your workers in case some some spill so th that will be my my summary and a Common sense, uh, which is the less common of the senses in some cases, should impair in order to reduce the CO2 because at the end of the day, we don't want to jeopardize the quality of our beer and else. That was the always informative Gabriel Dominguez here on the Master Brewers podcast. Gabriel has been an instructor for some of the Master Brewers courses for many years now. Imagine what you could learn during a few classes and happy hours with Gabriel. Then, follow the link in the show notes to learn more about the various courses offered by Master Brewers. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.